Hi, my name's John, and uh, I suppose if you want a title, I have got a title of community pastor, and uh, yeah, I just do things as God leads, <laughs> um, like trying to get my computer to do what I want it to do. Um, there we go. Um, and I'm excited about these baptisms, because the last I think one of the last baptisms I had at my church was a man who had been watching the God Channel and, um, well, he'd been flicking through the channels and he heard someone talking about finances and he started listening and discovered it was the God Channel. He had a business and he, had, he was looking for help and, and through it all, he became a Christian. He ended up on his knees on the floor for a whole day repenting of all his sins and he had an amazing conversion. He was being baptized. His wife came. She was very skeptical and uh, as soon as he went under the water, she ran out of the church in tears, and floods of tears. She came back in the evening. We had an evening we called Insights where people could explore issues of the faith. And it was about forgiveness. And uh, she committed her life to the Lord that night. That's how God works. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. So go for, go for the, the baptisms and, uh, and life groups. I've signed up for two, so um, I'm one of those special people, aren't I? <laughs> um, okay, let's begin. Um, we've been thinking about strength for the weary. For years, William Wilberforce pushed Britain's parliament to abolish slavery. He got very discouraged and he was about to give up but his elderly friend, John Wesley of the Methodist Church, who founded it, uh, heard about this from his deathbed and he called from, for a pen and paper and with a trembling hand he wrote a note to Wilberforce. He said, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. Well, Wesley died six days later, but Wilberforce fought for 45 more years and in 1833, three days before his death, saw slavery abolished in Britain. You see, even William Wilberforce was vulnerable to weariness and needed to find strength from God. Tonight we're looking at Isaiah chapter 40, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, and I say that every time I preach, don't I? But um, it happens that way. And, and it's to discover more about strength for the weary. Before I, about, I think it must have been about five o'clock this evening, I went to my study and I got my guitar out and I sang two songs. One Jesus shall take the highest honor. Jesus shall take the highest praise. A great song, and I love it. And I sang it, I don't know how many times. Then I sang another song of Chris Bowaters, just, uh, because it was there on my file, Swing Wide the Gates. It's a great song to swing wide the gates, because um, it's actually based on part of Isaiah 40. Swing wide the gates, make a way for him. Swing wide the gates, and let the king come in. Here he comes, the king of glory. Here he comes in splendor and majesty. Swing wide the gates, swing wide the gates, swing wide the gates, and let the king come in. So before we read Isaiah 40, let's pray that. 
Oh, Father, we thank you that you're a God who comes. We thank you that you come and meet us in our deepest needs. And, Father, we often we don't open the gates wide enough to allow you in. Lord, I pray that tonight that you will enable each of us to swing wide the gates of our hearts, wide open to you. Would you swing open the gates in this community in which this church is, that doors would open, gates would be broken down to allow you in. And we pray that for our city and for our nation. Swing wide the gates so that the King of glory may come in. And Father, I pray that you'll help me tonight just to share the things that you've put on my heart in ways that will build your people and help them to discover more and more of your strength uh, to overcome any possibility of weariness or any weariness they're going through. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Isaiah can be called a Bible in miniature. Um, How many books are in the Bible? Some of you know. 66. Well, there are 66 chapters in Isaiah. How many books are there in the Old Testament? 39. First part of Isaiah has 39 chapters, and like the Old Testament, they focus on the failure of God's people and God's judgment on his people. And uh, Isaiah was warning Israel, God through Isaiah was warning Israel about her sin and prophesied God's judgment. And in in 586 BC, Jerusalem was sacked, And the temple was destroyed and people were taken off into captivity. How many books are in the New Testament? Yeah, good mathematics. You can subtract 39 from 66. 27. The second part of Isaiah is 27 chapters from 40 to 66. And they are full of hope for the people in exile, a prophecy of hope. Um, And like the New Testament, it deals with God's grace and comfort, and uh, it's often called the gospel of the the Old Testament. And the New Testament section opens with Isaiah chapter 40, with the ministry you'll see and recognize of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. It closes with the new heavens and new earth. And in between, there are many references and prophecies about Jesus, our Savior. Can you imagine being taken off from your home city and taken off in captivity to a a repressive nation, Babylon. Knowing that Jerusalem, your city that you loved, was destroyed, that your central place of worship, the temple, was in ruins, your king had been blinded and dragged off into a Babylonian prison, you probably watched your parents wrestle with faith in God's word word and and the promises uh, not fulfilled and see them dying without that happening. And you're wondering, what's going on? How long must we wait? How would you feel? Uh, There's a great preacher called Joseph Parker. He preached in the city temple in London. And um, his wife came from Horsley, where I looked after the church there for a while. That's how I knew a little bit about him. But he once said, there is a broken heart in every pew or in every seat in church. There would have been broken hearts in every Jewish home in Babylon. And here tonight in Wall's End and amongst those of you who are watching... I've no doubt that some of you are weary of life and its problems and its issues. Weary of the struggles of being a witness of Jesus in a secular world. 
I'm not going to say anything about COVID because I think we've had lots of talk about COVID and the weariness that's come through, uh, through that pandemic. But Babylon became a symbol of all that is in opposition to God. In the book of Revelation, Babylon is the ultimate enemy of God and the persecutor of his people. We Christians are at war. Did you know that? We have an enemy who is constantly seeking to tempt us to sin, to deceive us, to discourage us. He will question our salvation, our call, our vision, our gifts, our abilities, our commitment, our holiness. He'll seek, seek, seek to steal, to kill, to destroy, to spoil our lives and to spoil our church. That's reality that we live in. We will experience battle fatigue because we're in a war. We can become weary of doing good, as Paul says in Galatians 6. You know, if you'd received a postcard from Paul on his travels, it would not, it would not have said having a great cruise, fantastic scenery, lovely weather, great food, and the people are really friendly. Rather, he would have said, been shipwrecked three times, spent a night and day on the open sea, I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, I've been in prison, been flogged, three times I've been beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. I've often gone without sleep, I've known hunger and thirst, and besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Oh, poor Pastor Paul. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was reality for him. And I, what can I say? Welcome to the Christian life. Welcome to the Christian life. That's what, that's what it's all about. We're in a battle. There will be times when the danger of weariness affects our spirits and our relationship with God. Moses was weary of leading such a vast number of people. David was weary over the constant death threats from Saul. Elijah was weary after his carmel victory over the prophets of Baal. Physical weariness, he was tired and hungry. Emotional weariness, fear of Jezebel's death threats. And spiritual weariness, loss of his sense of purpose in God. Feeling abandoned and alone. Even our Lord experienced weariness, asked his disciples to pray for him at Gethsemane. Our enemy never gives up. After the devil had tempted Jesus for 40, 40 days, Luke 4.13 says that he left him until an opportune moment. In other words, he'd be back again. And that's true. You'll get a victory, he'll be back. He'll come back and he'll come back. Ephesians 6 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Isaiah's warnings in those first 39 chapters about the sinfulness of God's people had been ignored. And now they are suffering the weariness-producing consequences of exile, of living among the enemy, feeling their situation hopeless and helpless. And they were probably asking three questions that the weary were asking. I think they might be on the screen. The first is, does God have the power to help us? That's, and find the answers in the verses 12 to 26. And the second one is, does God really care about us? And that's answered in verses 27 to 31 of chapter 
40. And into that scene, God speaks comfort and hope. So I want to look at the heart of God. And this is where we begin to look. I'm going to read through the first 11 verses of chapter 40 and just pass some comments as I read. So I'll stop reading and pass a comment. Begins, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Amazing words. 39 chapters before this, mainly about coming judgment. And yet God still cares for his people. Abandoned by God in Babylon, but not rejected. Still his people, still seeking to comfort them. Whatever the cause, remember you are still God's child. A lovely man in my church, um, as his son was leaving, to start, leaving home to start a great job that would take him all over the world, he gave his son an envelope. And he said, if you are ever in trouble, if you can't handle life, if you mess things up, whatever you need, you're always welcome to come home. And in that envelope, there's enough money to get you home from anywhere in the world. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. His people are bruised like a child after a fall. But Father God is rushing to pick them up in his arms. That's our God. He says, verse 2, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Speak to the heart like a young man wooing his girl. Her sin has been paid for. The punishment has been accepted by God. You know, it's a, what a joy to know forgiveness. Do you remember receiving forgiveness when you became a Christian? What a joy. I remember walking home in tears of joy the night I became a Christian. What a joy to know it. And see, this is the introduction of a theme that will occupy much of the following chapters. All In the end, it's fully expounded in Isaiah 53, you know, where it speaks of Jesus' death that we might be forgiven. All, all of us were like sheep that were lost, each of us going his own way. But the Lord made the punishment fall on him, the punishment all of us deserved. That's what God has done. Jesus, his son, took the punishment for our sins. Isn't he wonderful? I mean, it's, it's so good. That's where we begin and that's what we live in. A God who loves to forgive and pick us up. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You recognize that from the New Testament when John the Baptist is, is proclaiming the coming of Christ. This is the first voice in this chapter. There's three voices. The first one, make way for the Lord to come to your rescue. It's hope for the exiles in Babylon. God is coming. That was the prophecy. It points to John the Baptist and the Savior who is coming. Uh, and that comes through Isaiah right back at the beginning in chapter 9. Unto us the Son is given. You know that passage. And thirdly, it points for us today that this God still comes to us in our need. And then it points to the hope of the return of Christ. He's coming again to put everything right. So get ready.
And isn't prophecy so amazing? That Isaiah knew all this and he could write it in a way that it spoke to every generation. Biblical prophecy, it's outstanding in its historical accuracy. It can only be God. Then verse 4, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And then we have the second voice, a voice cries out, says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, fall because the breath of the Lord blows in them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Voice two, God's word will not fail. We may not see it in our lifetime, some of the things, but God's word is certain. What he says happens. And because he is eternal, he's got all the time in the world to bring it about, hasn't he? The Bible is our source of hope for you and me. Either, you know, this book is just so precious. Mine's falling apart, but the Savior Bible's falling apart. Your life won't be falling apart because you've been using it. And we must get into this book and discover the hope that God has for us. Then verse 9, you, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice. That's the third voice. With a shout, lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. That's the third voice. The sovereign, powerful Lord comes. You are not forgotten. He comes as a caring shepherd to gather his people and lead them home. If you are suffering, if you're hurt, if you're distressed, if you're anxious, if you're feeling hopeless, he will carry you close to his heart. If you're weary of sin and feel far from God, his heart is to bring you home tonight. If you've been weary of all the enthusiastic work you've done in the life of the church for God, and you're ready to give up or have already given up, if you've dropped out of church to have a break, it's time to come home. God's heart is to bring you home. The heart of God for the, the weary. Those three voices. God visits his people to rescue them. God demonstrates his faithfulness by fulfilling his promised word. God shepherds his flock with tenderness and love. And look at the truth about God. The weary, or the wearies, I think it says. The, um, the next slide, I think. Um, <clears throat> the wearies have questions answered. Their, you know, their question, is God powerful enough, is answered. God is powerful creator, verses 12 to 26. And secondly, God gives hope and strength, verses 27 to 28. Let's read 
from verse 25. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. How powerful is our God? I love that verse. You know, the Milky Way galaxy has 400 billion stars. I don't know how they ever counted them. That's just one galaxy amongst possibly, they reckon, over two trillion galaxies. Um, count the stars. If you could count the stars of the Milky Way one, one every second, it would take you two and a half thousand years at least to name them all. So don't try it. God calls them each by name. Not one of them is missing. You know, if every star was reduced to the size of a grain of sand, the stars visible to the naked eye, the ones that you can see when you look up at the sky on a reasonably bright night, the sand would fill a communion glass. Just in case you don't know what a communion glass is, I brought one along with me. It just happened to have one in my pocket. That's how much. All the stars you could see at night, if each one was a grain of sand, they would fill that. Now, um, the stars of the Milky Way itself would fill a wheelbarrow. Imagine trying to fill a wheelbarrow with a communion glass. That's a lot of work because there's a lot of stars, a lot of grains of sand. But the stars in all known space, and we're still discovering more, would fill one railway coal wagon, coal wagon because we're in the northeast, one railway coal wagon passing you every second for three and a half years. How amazingly powerful is our God. He answered the question, he is able. Why do you complain, Jacob? He goes on in verse 27. Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Or in other words, God's not interested in poor little me. Never feel like that. I have occasionally. And he goes on, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? You know, there are far fewer people on earth than stars in the universe. If God knows each star by name, do you think it's a problem for God to know about you? No. And the prophet goes on, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Well, it says, actually, he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Hope in the Lord. Some versions say, wait on the Lord. And this waiting is waiting with hope and expectation. Um, when I lived in Bournemouth, I worked in accountancy. And, uh, I used to cycle home from work. And the first thing I saw as I swung around the, off the main road onto the side road, and we lived in a second, uh, second first floor flat. And the uh, first thing I saw as I would cycle around and look up at the window in the flat was my toddler son standing in the window watching for me coming home. And then there were waves and shouts and, 
And by the time I got in and went up the stairs, he was standing at the top of the stairs waiting to give me a hug and welcome me. Welcome me. That's what it is to hope in the Lord. You're excited, expecting, you're hopeful. God will do it. God will do it. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. One of the things I did as I was preparing, I looked up every, in my concordance, I looked up every reference to strength and to weary or weariness. And I discovered some interesting things. And what I, want, I want to look at strength for the weary, and there's a part that you can play in, in, in having this strength. And it will, it's not only strength when you're weary, it's strength that will help you to stop becoming weary. And it's very simple because we have to make some choices in our lives, I think. We have to ask God for strength. It sounds simple, but do you ask God for strength? Do you seek his Holy Spirit? Do you bring your weakness to the source of strength? Do it in your own strength and you will grow weary. But Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just as a very short time after his conversion, Acts 9.22 says, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews when he taught them about Jesus. He grew more and more powerful. What does that mean? He had strength. He had strength for the task of evangelizing. He had strength to keep himself going when he faced opposition and all the rest, when he wanted to explain things. There is strength available to you. Ask for it. Secondly, I would say examine your Christian walk. Hebrews 12, 12. Consider him who endured the cross, scorning the, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus, consider the cross, consider what he has done for you on the cross so you'll be able to handle opposition and problems and the enemy. It's all there so you don't grow weary. Our and, and that passage talks about, he reminds us that it's God as a father who sometimes disciplines us. We are God's children. And when you go through tough times, it may be God is disciplining you and you're weary because you'll get weary if there's sin in your life. So examine your life. Examine your Christian walk. Make level paths for your feet. In verse 12 it says, strengthen your feeble arms and legs, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. You see, sin is like when you go to the beach on a hot day for a refreshing swim in the North Sea, and you have to walk over sharp stones to get into the water, and that's really painful, I hate that. And then again, you have to go through them to get out of the water. It takes the whole joy out of going into the sea for me if that happens. But you know, those sharp stones are like our sin. We put them there. And it's as if you put them there and you suffer the consequences. And hinders others also from getting into the ocean of God's love. So I just want to say, look at your life. There's always room for change and growth. 
And then enjoy the riches of Christ. Ephesians 1.18, Paul prays that they may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the, sa in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And he says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. So you want to look into that, that incomparably great power and that mighty strength that seated Christ in the heavenly realms. And if you read elsewhere in Ephesians, where are you seated? You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms in the place of all rule and authority. There's hope in that. There's hope in that. Jesus has done it all for you. So find strength and power as you reflect on all the riches of Christ and the glorious inheritance of his saints. Fill your life with good news. Do you know about doom scrolling? Anybody, any doom scrollers here? <laughs> right. Doom scrolling is when you can't stop yourself from scrolling through distressing, saddening, or generally just bad news stories. And uh, it became quite, well, quite prominent when the pandemic began. I was talking to a lady just this week whose mum in the early days of the pandemic phoned her every couple of days to give her all the alarming news and negative facts and statistics about the virus, presumably to warn her to be careful. But after a few weeks, she said, I had to phone my mother and say, don't bring me any more with news like that and stop listening to it yourself or watching it. It was just causing her stress and anxiety. We have a choice. We can speak up the riches of Christ or we can speak up the miseries of Babylon. A man asked his wife, what was the pastor's sermon today? Babylon, she said. What? The pastor preached in Babylon? He asked. No, she said. The pastor seemed just to Babylon and Babylon. <laughs> I preached a sermon on that once, you know, uh, don't Babylon about Babylon. <laughs> um, but it's true. We do Babylon about all the negatives so often. So I say to you, don't be a grumbler and babble on about your grumbles and complaints. Speak God's comfort. Don't babble about your illnesses. I had a man with 23 health issues in my church. He talked about them all the time. And even before, I, when I prayed for healing, before I'd said amen, he was started to talk about his illness again. And there's another man who lived a wild life until he had a stroke at 35. He went to hear Billy Graham preach, became a Christian, came to church, uh, and the stroke uh, took away the use of one of his legs. And I would pick him up to bring him to church. He would have to walk with a crutch about 75 yards to get from his door to get to the car. And I'd say to him, how are you? He said, I'm walking in faith and victory for the Lord my God is with me. You know the song, Be Bold, Be Strong? We used to sing it you know, before some of you were born, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm walking in faith and victory. He wasn't going to let his illness get him down. He was looking to Jesus. So don't babble on. Don't babble on about the faults and failings of the church or their leaders. Satan can do enough of that. Don't babble on about people who have hurt you. Forgive them. Don't babble on about your weaknesses, your doubts, your failings. Develop a heart of praise and sing of the riches of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and the gift of his spirit and all that he has for us. That's the answer to weariness. 
the other stuff is so wearying. It just fills you with negativity. Resist it. I'm going to leave out considering Jesus for the moment. Um, and then I want to talk just last two things. Strength for the weary, the church's part. What I discovered, I read 1 Corinthians 14, 26. That chapter is all about the gifts of the Spirit and their use in the church. Verse 26 says, When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Isn't that amazing? Did you know that? All those gifts, therefore, the strengthening of the church. Isaiah 54, verse 4, the prophet says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. He's told him what to speak. To know the word that sustains the weary. You see, God will give you, the church, all that you need to make the folk of the church strong. You are here and the gifts are given to you to make the church strong. Exercise spiritual gifts and secondly, encourage one another. I mean, 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, Paul says, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ. Why? To strengthen and encourage you in the faith. There it is. Do you remember Luke 22, 33, when Jesus was speaking to Peter, warning him that he would uh, betray him? Uh, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as sweet, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith not fail. And when you have turned back, what did he tell him to do? Strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. It's there. We're to use the gifts of the Spirit. We're to encourage one another to make each other strong. And the third thing I thought was extraordinary prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And Paul says, pray also for me whenever I open my mouth that words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am, an ambassador, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. There's a man being honest about his fears of evangelism and he's asking the church to pray for him. Why aren't we seeing enough people coming to Christ? Is it that we're not praying for each other's fears enough? Extraordinary prayer for me is if the whole church were to meet every week to pray together, everyone in the church. The battle is a real battle of prayer. What extraordinary or supernatural things might God do if we prayed together much more? I'm going to end there. Maybe the worship team will come up. Um, I wrote down a few things that God laid on my heart. And I, one was just to ask you, have you opened the gates of your heart wide to Jesus? God wants all of your devotion. 
Have you got too many distractions in your life? Would you let go and let God be the main attraction? That's what he wants. And I felt too that um, about encouraging that um, there are some of you here who are encouragers and you know you're able to encourage. But I felt God saying he wants you to swing wide the gate and move on just from encouraging using the words that you have but actually to get into the gift of prophecy which one of the things about prophecy is is about encouragement. So I want to pray I just want to pray for those two things for you now and if either of those are you maybe you'd just like to stand up as I, as I pray and others can just reach out their hand to you. Don't be shy. It's all right to, to acknowledge your need. That's a powerful thing. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you're a God who loves to strengthen. You love to come and strengthen your people. Would you come now? Would you come now? Holy Spirit, come now. And open wide the gates of hearts. Open wide the gates of those that are a bit closed at the moment. Of those who have other things that are greater priority than you. Or maybe just a little distraction. Father, just reveal your great love for them. And draw them to yourself again. That they would open the gates wide. You may just want to say in your heart, Lord, I open the gate wide to you. Open my life to you. Just welcome him now. Welcome him. Let God become your main attraction. And for those who are encouragers, if you want to just hold out your hand, say, yes, Lord, I want, I ask this gift. The word says, to eagerly desire the gifts and especially prophecy. Father, would you just release the gift of prophecy on the encouragers here. Release your gift of prophecy. Holy Spirit, pour out your gift of prophecy now. Pour it out. Pour it out. Just welcome it. Open the gates to receive it. you've received, can I encourage you to use that gift before you go home tonight? There'll be opportunity afterwards.